On this week's show, we're going to discuss ongoing education and how a clean uniform can make you money. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Now, before we get started, I just want to let you non-EGI members know about a great opportunity to start growing your business. Doesn't matter if you're looking to have our, you know, your first million dollars or if you're a larger company going at, you know, 10 plus million. If you have the proven roadmaps to succeed, you're going to get there a heck of a lot faster with our help. I can't imagine what I could have done at my first company if I had access to the tools and resources that the contractor university provides. I mean, you can sit there and beat your head against the wall or you can learn from the top minds in the industry and save all those headaches. If you're interested in jumpstarting your business and growing it the right way, click the join button at the top of this page and you can get 30 days of training free for you and your team at no charge whatsoever. Now last week we talked about how to discuss money and personal finance with your employees and your technicians. This week we're going to dive into how uh, you can run consistent educational trainings at your company as well as the importance of an awesome uniform. Up first, we're going to have James talk about the importance of running an educational training at your company. He's going to talk about you know, when and how to do these trainings, the importance of rehearsing the presentations, and how to deliver the content. Here's James Leichter. Hi, I'm James Leichter with EGIA. I wanted to talk to you about how to implement seminars or regular classes in your business. Hopefully by now, I've sold you on the idea that ongoing education is super important for your employees, just like it is for you. But how do we get those implemented? It varies by company slightly, but most of the fundamentals are the same, regardless of your business. First of all, you want to decide on the days and the time slots in advance and put those on a calendar. Don't do these whenever it's convenient, because it's, it's never convenient, is it, right? Make an appointment with yourself and your company. So you might decide, as an example, every Tuesday at 7 a.m., we will have a seminar, we will have a class. And then you create a calendar with the topics so everybody knows what the topics is going to be. And you might do this four or five weeks in advance. The key, though, is like a college or a, any school would do, you want to create a calendar of events because only then is everybody committed to them. Uh, rule number two, they always start on time and they end on time. If you say that the seminar, the class, is 7 a.m. to 7.55 a.m., Tuesday, it needs to start at exactly 7 a.m. I recommend that the owner do these classes unless they are an off-site owner that nobody knows about or cares about. If you're an owner-operator, this is your opportunity to really make a difference at a personal level. The seminar has to start at 7. You probably know why, but we want to instill a sense of discipline by creating a calendar of events and insisting that they start at 7. At 7 o'clock, the door should close. If you decide that people are allowed to come in after the start time, that's fine, but they should have to open a closed door. Whenever possible, if you've got a door, close it. They need to end on time, 
Not before, not after. Again, you're creating a sense of discipline. You also want to rehearse for these seminars. Don't just wing it. Be sure that you have notes, you have cards, you have a PowerPoint, whatever you need to keep yourself straight. If you need to do handouts, they're not always required, but if you need to do handouts, be sure you have handouts that you can give everybody. If you want to have a PowerPoint to keep everybody on track, then have a PowerPoint behind you, a laptop in front of you. Don't substitute, though, um, a PowerPoint presentation for getting personal. You want to be sure that you're very personal with your coworkers because, again, this is your opportunity to bond with them. So don't stick too rigidly to that PowerPoint. The point I'm making is you want to prepare for these meetings as a college professor prepares for their classroom. Take it just as seriously. I have seen many, many times how these ongoing sessions really turn around a business. Now, we all know the importance of appearance, don't we? And we know how it can affect our interactions with customers, but James has an even further in-depth conversation to the importance of a uniform and how that can drive employee performance. Hi, I'm James Leichter with EGIA, and I wanted to talk to you for a moment about the importance of an awesome uniform, specifically uniforms for your installers and your technicians. It's been my experience that the uniform is very underrated, including by me, but I want to share a story with you. When I was younger, we started in my business, we started working on boilers, and we got pretty good at boiler work. So I had some patches made up that said boiler specialist, and I, they were iron-ons. So I gave out some of these patches to my coworkers that were good at boiler repair. And they ironed them on, and I, showed them show, I saw them show up the next day with boiler specialist. One guy in particular, I only gave him two patches, but five or six days a week, his shirt always had the boiler specialist patch on it. So you know what happened? No, he didn't go buy more patches. He was wearing the same shirt every day, the same two shirts. He must have gone home and washed it because he was so proud of the patch. And when they started falling off, he asked if we could get somebody to sew them on. That's when I realized, looking around at the other people, they really liked their patches. So we created heat pump specialist, boiler specialist, master mechanic. Like in my case, I'm a master mechanic, I had a patch for it. Master pipe fitter, etc. We worked really hard to make the uniform as cool as it could possibly be. I mean like, you're looking at a surgeon, and you, maybe you've seen one on TV, maybe it's a fake surgeon, but they had these cool coats, you know, with embroidery here and embroidery there, and they got the pens and stuff, and, and they, look, they look really cool. Well, your service technicians should look the same way. Now, that does several other things for you. It actually increases revenue. How? Because I can't prove it, so I can't prove this part. But I know in my head, I have seen a great-looking uniform translate into an easier sale. It makes it easier to sell somebody on a repair, 
on a humidification system, on indoor air quality, on a system change out, or just to get them to consider a change out and let me put in a sales opportunity, a lead. It's easier to make those sales, those are all sales, aren't they, with a great looking uniform. There have been studies showing that the, the more professional the doctor looked, the better people felt. There are studies proving that. They had doctors dress down, doctors dress up, and prescribe the same placebo, and the people who got the placebo from the great-looking doctor felt better quicker. I think the same thing would work for your installers and your technicians, and depending on your policy and your company, you might consider dressing your salespeople up in the same regard. But I'll tell you what, you will be surprised what a morale booster it is to have a great-looking uniform it's worth it whatever it costs. Now that's some awesome content from James right there. I love that guy. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about this topic, I want to encourage you to sign up for the 30-day free trial by clicking join at the top of this page. This is just a small piece of the process and you need the whole thing to make it all work. Now as you know, we talk a lot about the sales process on this show, but we've never really dived into the fundamentals of managing salespeople or the sales team. We recently had Gary Ellicks in the studio to talk about this subject in detail, so we're going to divide this content up over a couple of shows, uh, two or three different shows. Up first, Gary is going to do an introduction to sales management, and he's going to talk about the following things. Whether you have a manager or not, you need to focus on the process if you want to be consistent with your sales team, and lastly, how you can fulfill, fulfill these duties and eventually pass them off to a manager once you have the revenue. Hi, welcome back to EJA Contractor University. I'm Gary Ellicks, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is going to be sales and sales management. In particular, we're going to talk about the role of the sales manager. So we've got about, mm, let's call it 30 videos or so inside of the retail sales process. We're going to break down each of the structures of the retail sales process, all the way from, you know, uh, essentially lead coordination through the process of selling with the client to getting reviews and ultimately finalizing and hopefully following up and getting referrals. So there's just a breakdown of all these principles. What the most important part of that discussion is, is that as a business is evolving, uh, it needs to develop a sales process. And because the sales process has to be organized and developed so that we can transfer that over A to a technician or B to a comfort advisor, um, a small business that has an owner like myself, I might be doing all the selling. At some point, I might uh, have you know, a health problem or the business grows and, uh, you know, or I have a family and I just all of a sudden have prioritization changes. That requires me to hand off the process to somebody else. So because we have individual characteristics, DNA, uh, charisma, uh, likability, uh, credibility in the standpoint we own the business, we sell from position of ownership. All of that translates to the homeowner and uh, that makes us more effective than so that the average person who is maybe a team member or an employee that's working for our company. So one of the things that we have to do is we have to create the process. We have to create a technique that we can hand to somebody and say, all right, um, here is how we want to do it as a company. This is our process. And so many companies don't have a process, and that's you know, a game-changing event, really, when you sit down and think about it, is 
But what do I want? Uh, what am I trying to deliver? How do I communicate to the homeowner? How do I ask the right questions? What boxes do I want to check in order to make the sales process effective? What's the brand experience? What am I trying to say that I'm going to deliver? And then how do I prove that you know, is a deliverable? And ultimately, what are my metrics? What am I measuring? You know, what do I want to sell at? How do I price, et cetera, et cetera? So we've got this myriad list of items that we're talking about. And so that is a function of sales management. Now, this is not a question of whether you have a sales manager in your business or not. That function exists inside of a company. Um, if you are the owner and you are the only person in the company, and you're also the technician, you're also the installer, you're also the person that deals with the attorney, the insurance, you're the person that deals with you know, clients when they're not happy, they go online, they find the contactor for five bucks, they call you. You are functionally handling many different roles. So we talk about, you know, hey, that owner might have lots of hats, 20 hats, 30 hats, 50 hats, 100 hats. The process of sales management is one of those hats. And so what I need you to understand is that whether or not you have a sales manager or not is not the question of this particular content. The question is, what does the function of sales manager do and perform, and what kind of boxes do you need to check in order to ensure that as you grow your business, so you're ready to hire that comfort advisor. You're ready to say, all right, I'm going to transfer the selling function over to somebody else that isn't me. Maybe I'll pick up the slack in the busy period. But that process has to be developed, and it has to be organized. Uh, otherwise, what you're going to get is inconsistency. And so I'm not suggesting that you can't be successful while you're still inconsistent, because that would, that's just not true. Uh, there's too many examples of companies that are out there where um, they don't have a process. They've hired somebody. They bring somebody in. That somebody has some skill sets. They sell some stuff. They're still successful. What they're not is they're not consistent. And what they're not is they're not maximizing or optimizing their opportunities. And so sales management is about figuring out what it is that you're supposed to create so that when you hand that process to somebody, you are optimized. You are, in fact, taking care of your customers to the maximum benefit of the client, your company. Ultimately, that relates to you, your profitability, your prosperity, et cetera. So sales management, this is, this is not about, hey, you got to go hire a sales manager because you got one comfort advisor. That is not what we're talking about. Now, there is some of that possibility out there. As your company grows and you begin to have more than one comfort advisor or more than one group of people that sell, uh, and there's plenty of companies out there that have scaled, you may in fact need a sales manager. And that's a point where you say, okay, I'm ready to go ahead and either hire from within, uh, therefore I have to decide you know, if somebody's ready to become a sales manager. Because you're a great salesperson doesn't make you a great sales manager. So let's keep that in mind. But the idea that you would bring in the position and that you would begin to structure a sales management function to then transfer the authority to the sales manager to run the sales part of the organization. Lead turnovers for techs, you know, training on accessories, training on products, training on behaviors, training on sales process, managing tickets, managing average closure rates, making sure they're doing sales meetings, blah, blah, blah. There's a litany of things that we do as sales managers. And I've been a sales manager on multiple organizations. And I've also had small companies that have grown. And I've acted as the sales manager until such time as we have enough people that we're now ready to go ahead and say, all right, uh, my activities are better served over here doing something else, and I need a sales management function. So when we hire that sales management function or we develop the sales management principles in a company, the question that we're asking today are, 
what are the fundamentals of sales management and how does a company deploy the check the boxes functions to make sure that before I hire a company advisor or before I make that progression that I've essentially taken the e-myth contractor mindset Michael Gerber's mindset which is I've recognized that I am who I am and that no one will be as good as I am at that particular skill set uh, they may be better uh, but most often they're probably not as passionate so they probably won't have that same level of success but I have to document that process and I have to transfer that authority to that individual how do I do that well I have to actually think in terms of what am I doing that is repeatable what am I doing that I can then train somebody on what am I doing as an organization that says that I want my technicians I want my installers you know I want my people that are frontline uh, sales process oriented individuals I would like them to understand how to do it the way I want to do it does that mean they're gonna do it that way every time no of course not uh, no company behaves 100% perfect it just doesn't work that way but what we can do is we can create the process to train on so the goal is to keep pushing forward so it's an old cliche uh, perfection is unattainable but if we chase perfection we can catch excellence so that's what we're after. We're after the idea that excellence is something that makes us great in the marketplace. And as long as we have a process, we define it, we can train on it, we can push our people forward, we can get our behavior patterns set up. This is the, this is the function. So I don't care if you're a one-man company or if you're a 100-person company, you need to think in terms of processes and technique and how am I going to define that, how am I going to train that. So, that's the purpose of this discussion today. Um, so if you're ready to hire a sales manager, this is timely. If you're a smaller company and you know, you've got just one or two people or maybe five or 10 people, you don't need a sales manager, but you still have the sales management processes. Somebody's got to create a price book. Somebody's got to do the presentation manual. Somebody's got to create the processes that you can then transfer to the next individuals. So with that in mind, let's go to the whiteboard. Let's have some conversation. Uh, we'll go into the whiteboard lab. We'll talk about how to break down some of those processes and we're going to start with pretty high level stuff and then we're going to break it down into some details because as a sales manager what I need you to do is I need you to recognize that you got to get other people to finish the work the way that you would like it to be done uh, it may not be to your standard but it has to be to the company standard and that's really the first thing we need to talk about well folks that's the show for this week turn in next week we're going to continue this conversation with Gary Ellix on the fundamentals of sales management. We'll see you next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.